it's, you, you don't cheat on someone. That's just morally wrong. And I'm going to share something kind of deep with you guys today that I've, I, I guess I can consider myself in the past an adulterer. Like, I've had a girl here, and then when she's gone, oh, another girl over here. And at the time, I felt like, oh, I'm living. This is, I'm just a kid. Who's, who's going to judge me? I live on now thinking, what the heck was I thinking? That's just wrong. Who plays a girl this way and then plays this girl the other way? It's just not right. And I felt so guilty for, who knows, maybe three years. As you can tell, I'm 16, so that was back when I was 13. And (laughs) Anyway, this past summer, Edward, Edward, yeah, Edward and I went to PSR, you know, Pine Springs Ranch summer camp, and one, and I think I was on Friday, well, because we spent a whole week there. On Friday, the last day with our counselor, Juan, this guy was very spiritual. You see him going across the, the the camp, and he would have his, you know, his backpack of stuff, and then on his backpack was a cross. And this cross was like, not legit, like, you know, huge cross, but maybe about yay high. And it weighed, it weighed a lot because it was made of actual wood. And he would carry it with him. And he, we would ask him, why, why do you carry that cross with you? I mean, isn't, isn't it heavy? And, and he pointed out a Bible verse, which I forget at the moment, but Edward knows. If you could quickly come up here and say it. Luke 14, 27. If you do not follow me, or if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Yeah, that verse, I may have heard it before, but that verse kind of just pierced through something in me. Before, whenever I heard someone talk about adultery, like, oh no, that's what I did. And I would sit there with a sad face thinking about all the bad things I had done. But then this time, something about that verse kind of just, it struck me. It struck me in a way that, kind of like, not salvation, but I can finally repent. Like, I'm, I know that I'm sorry for what I did, and I've apologized to everyone that I did something like that to. And then for our cabin presentation, we had, we had everyone line up and say something that they, bad that they've done. Like one guy, he stole from his parents. Another guy, he beat up a kid. Um, another guy cheated and whatnot. And then we all said that verse together. And some, we left that week feeling more connected. Oh, thank you. We left that week feeling more connected. Like we actually could connect with each other and say these things, we kind of relate. That was the best summer camp I've ever been to with, at PSR. Like they, helped, they helped me just kind of find a way to not let go, but know that I have these burdens, but I have to carry them, not just ignore them, acknowledge them. Well, you know, not acknowledge them, but 
Just know that they're there, but don't let them bring me down. Carry on. Know that God is forgiving. And we all know this story in John chapter 8, starting at verse 2. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? I'm sure glad this law wasn't around when I was caught. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard again began to go away at one, one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And then that little section where it says Jesus wrote down on the ground, I forget who said this, but if studied, somewhere it says that Jesus went on the ground, started writing the sins of everyone who, who was going to stone that woman. That's why he, and thus explaining why he said, let he without sin cast the first stone. So the guy with the stone right here, he's like, I'm ready. Oh, I did that. Walk away. But I hope I guess the point I'm trying to get, around, get, get across here is that, true, we, I, I fell into temptation along with many others, but I'm willing to say that I did it and repent and be sorry for it. Now, if someone doesn't forgive me, then I'm sorry. I don't know what else I could do. But knowing that I repented and that Jesus, that God forgive me, somewhat liberating, lets me know that he is a merciful God. Thank you so much, Brian, for being willing to uh, share your testimony. Let's give him a hand. So uh, we must have won the lottery here on Youth Sabbath to end up with this commandment. And uh, some of you guys might be wondering how this happened since obviously we've gone back a commandment. Um, But Youth Sabbath was picked a while ago, and we had this commandment and started brainstorming, figuring out how we were going to do this. And after a switch happened, so Youth Sabbath got pushed a week later, we kept our commandment. And the kids are just, I don't know, maybe we should have switched and thou shalt not steal is a much easier topic to talk about than thou shalt not commit adultery for Youth Sabbath. Um, We had a really interesting conversation. I think it was my first year here. And we were talking about the commandments. and And I asked them, do you think it's possible to commit adultery before you get married? And all of them are like, no. Easy, right? It's impossible to commit adultery before you get married. And I'm like, well, that's the conversation that I want to start about. I want to talk about what this commandment means. And so the groundwork was laid for this commandment 
a year ago, and I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about it some more and that I have a chance to, to speak some of my thoughts and some of the things that I, I've learned along the way. And hopefully it'll have something that you can to take with you today. So please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this chance for our, for our youth to be up in front to serve you, but also for this chance I have to, to share the word. So I pray that, that you speak through me, um, that your words be spoken, and that our eyes be opened even more to the, to the wisdom that you shared with us um, so long ago uh, when you gave us these commandments and, and the truth that we continue to learn along the way. In your name I pray. Amen. So I was at a party um, with some of my girlfriends, and, you know, we have music on in the background, and we're just, you know, listening and having fun when this song comes on that has this melody that just gets stuck in your head. And, uh, yeah, I know. The, for those of you guys who have not heard uh, I Love You Like a Love Song, um, the lyrics are very, very profound. It goes, I love you like a love song, baby. I love you like a love song, baby. I love you like a love song, baby. And I keep pressing repeat. That is the song. <laughs> I will not sing it for you. But no, it's like you hear it and it's just like over and over again. And the next week, and this was a while ago, it just kept coming in my head. And I'd be humming, da 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 Just stuck in my head. And, and I stopped and I started thinking about it when I found out we got this commandment. It came back to me and I'm like, what does this song actually say? Well, probably not because pop music is not known for being very profound. Um, but this woman is, is singing her song, I love you like a love song, but not really saying what that means. What does it mean to say I love you like a love song? So I started thinking of all the love songs I've heard, and I'm sure that you can think of some too that you've heard growing up or you've heard at the radio. For me, growing up, the place I heard the most pop music was at the roller skating rink. And we used to have our field trips to the roller skating rink. So I'm in fifth grade, sixth grade with my roller skates, and, and you hear the song, Baby, I love you, won't you tell me your name? And I didn't understand, how does that work? How do you love somebody and you don't even know their name? What does this even mean? You know, and so of course there's the beautiful one, always and forever. You know, because you loved me, you were my strength when I was weak. You have the songs that you sing at weddings. From this moment on, there's beautiful love songs about profound love and lasting love and, and forever love. And then there are songs like, baby, I love you, won't you tell me your name? And songs that are like, um, I love you, but you're married, but I love you anyways, so won't you please come meet me tonight? You know, all of these different pictures of love in these music, these songs that we hear that sometimes we don't even completely process what we're hearing because it's catchy. <laughs> it's a fun song, and, and, and it gets stuck in your head, baby, I love you like a love song. And I talked about this with the kids last week. I'm like, is that even a compliment? To tell someone, I love you like a love song, and they're like, well, no, that's just, it's not a good song, so why would you tell anybody that? <laughs> but I love you like a love song, and I think what it comes down to is, what's the love song? This whole song, it depends on what is the love song that you love them like. What is this definition, what is the meaning of love that you're holding on to? What is the love that you've learned about? What is the ideal that you're holding up? What do you think of when you hear the word love? What does it mean? And, uh, and times are, are changing. <laughs> I mean, times are really changing where the meaning of love has changed and the value of love has changed and what marriage is and what family is has changed. But, 
But what do we believe it is? What are we teaching our kids about love and about marriage that they're going to take with them their whole lives? Or are they going to learn what love means from pop songs? Baby, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? <laughs> I love you just for tonight, just tonight, this night only. No, that's not, that's not love. So uh, we, um, it's funny as, as adults, and uh, for my three and a half years of experience in marriage, <laughs> there's some of you guys who can beat me so much more than that. And the thing we learn and we think about adultery, and it's very much a term that we associate with marriage. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not cheat on thy spouse. Um, and we think back on, on when we're kids, and, it's, and it can be funny when we think about relationships back when we were teenagers or back when, you know, we were in college before it really counted, when we were just learning. But those are the times where we're, we're learning the lessons that help us prepare for the marriage that, that someday some of us will have. But even without marriage, um, all of these commandments apply to everybody. Why would there be one commandment that only applies to some people? So what is this commandment saying for those of us who may not be married, for who have lost spouses or have never gotten married or have been divorced? What does this commandment say to us today? So I have three questions that I wanted to talk about briefly. One of it is, what was adultery then when this commandment was written? What did Jesus say about adultery? And what does this commandment have to say to us today? So, not too big of a history lesson, but back then, when this, when this commandment was written, actually it only applied to the woman. Do you know that? Only a married woman could commit adultery, not a married man. I didn't know that. And it's an interesting idea. It's like, well, well, why does it matter? And it because in the Jewish society, it was obviously a very patriarchal society, right? I mean, the men were the most important. Women were not as valued in society. But at the end of the day, the home revolved around the woman. And if the woman was cheating, if the woman was being unfaithful to her home, that home would collapse. And it was necessary to society for the woman to be faithful or the family would fall apart. And there were tests and all sorts of craziness they would do to find out whether or not a woman had been faithful. Um, and as time progressed, they were kind of realizing that maybe this wasn't completely fair to the men because they got off, you know, if they were caught cheating with a married woman, they were killed. But if they were married, it was just taking a second wife. Because at the end of the day, sex was marriage. If you had sex with someone before you got married, well, then you married them. That was just the way you got married. It was a different way of doing it, and that's not the way it works now. Sex is something completely separate from marriage. It's like you have marriage over here, and then you have the physical part of relationship over there. But I was reading on, on Jewish law, and there were three ways to get married. One was to, uh, to give money, like a ring, a signature. One was to make the contract, and the other was to have sex. And that was marriage. Congratulations, you just got married, you know? And uh, if you think about it like that, like you, you, you marry the very first person you're with, and there's a lot more people committing adultery out there because it's become something separate from this holy union that God had in mind. Um, but back then, men were allowed to have multiple wives, so it wasn't cheating. It was just taking on an extra wife. 
And uh, you had to be responsible for them, and you had to pay for them, and you had to support them. But it was just another wife. A married woman, though, couldn't marry another man. And so for her, committing adultery was breaking apart a home. And so that's what they had. They had that for thousands of years before Jesus came. And that's why when Jesus came, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about adultery, what he said was mind-blowing to the Jewish people. For those of you guys who are not completely familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about adultery. And he says, you have heard the commandment, you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gorge it out and throw it away, better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into the fire. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is even better for you to lose one part of your body than to lose your whole body into the fire. So from the very first thing, very beginning, all of a sudden, man is included in this commandment. It's not just a woman problem, it's a man problem as well. And not even that, it doesn't have to do with sleeping with another person, it has to do with looking and lusting. And so from over here, this pretty simple thing of, okay, as long as you don't go, as long as a woman doesn't go and sleep with somebody else, we're completely fine. We go to this other extreme of, like, you can't even look, you can't even think, you can't even contemplate doing anything because then you've already broken the commandment. And you know what that means? We've, we've pretty much all broken the commandment. Jesus took it to this impossible standard that included the whole family because it wasn't just about a physical act. It was about where our heart is. What are the things that are important to us? What are the things we're focusing on? Are we focusing on our family? Are we focusing on our relationships? Are we focusing on upholding the value of love? Or are we focusing on our own wants and our own needs and things that that aren't ours to desire? And so I think Jesus totally, he, he paves the way for something completely beyond just a physical act when we talk about what this commandment means to us today. And when I say, can you commit adultery before you're married? I would very firmly say yes. And to my teenagers up here in the front row and over there. <laughs> it has to do with, with where your heart is. Are you cheating your future marriage with decisions you're making now? Are you wanting things that aren't yours to want yet? And for those of us who are married, it's not just about physicality. It's when we put things in front of our marriage, when it becomes a priority lower down on the food chain. Um, I talked about honor your father and mother a few weeks ago. How many of you guys were here for that one? Okay. I don't know if you remember this, but it was something that, that blew my mind. Um, that honor your father and mother actually in their book belongs on the first tablet. Remember that? that that actually has to do more about loving God than loving other people. And so they have five and five. That's how they match it up. Well, they had another thing that they do as well that says that the first commandment on this tablet ties directly into a commandment on the other side. That this action about loving God ties directly to this action about loving other people. That there's another dimension to this that is connected. And so thou shall commit adultery connects with thou shalt not make any graven images. And God's associating these two things, saying it's the same thing. Um, 
When you put something before me, when you have an idol that's more important to you than I am, that you're worshiping instead of me, that's you cheating on me. That's you cheating on God by making something else more important. Well, that goes across, thou shalt not commit adultery. When you're putting something in front of your marriage that's more important, that you're, you're cheating your marriage. In, um, in the book of Hosea, it's a story of a prophet who God talks to and, and tells him, you know, Hosea, I don't know, have you guys all heard the story of Hosea? Okay, you're shaking your heads. Hosea was just a guy. He was a normal guy. And God tells him, I want you to get married. And he's like, yay. And then God says, I want you to marry a prostitute. And he's like, no. <laughs> and God goes, no, I really, you need to go and you need to marry a prostitute. And there's a reason for this. So he goes and he marries a prostitute the way that God told him to do. And this prostitute cheats on him because she's a prostitute. And, and he gets mad. He's like, God, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, nope, go get her. So he goes after her. He brings her home. And she cheats on him again. She has some other guy's kid. And she keeps running away. And, and Hosea's like, what's the purpose of this? Why are you making me torture myself like this? Because he loves her. This is his wife. He's committed to her. And God goes, because that's the way the people of Israel make me feel. This is what my people have done to me. They're the prostitute. <laughs> That's us. We don't like that association, but we're the ones who cheat on God over and over again, and he goes after us, and he brings us home, and we cheat on him again as we put other things more important in front of him. We cheat on God. Not just Chloe, Serena, you too. We all cheat on God. So I think uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Something for us today to think about and to start the discussion because we're not going to be able to talk about all the ways that we commit adultery every day here. But for you to contemplate, or what are the ways you think about love? the values of love, uh, the values of marriage, um, the family, because what this was really about on a way different than honor your father and mother, it was about a way of keeping families together. Don't break this family. This family is, is necessary for, for our understanding of God, for our understanding of community. We need family. We need relationships, and we need people we can trust because once trust is broken, relationships are broken, and it's a struggle. I've, I've had friends, I'm, I'm getting older now, who have uh, who've struggled with a spouse who have committed adultery. And it's, it's, it's earth-shattering. And a lot of couples don't make it. Like they'll, they'll try to do counseling, or they'll decide they want to go their separate ways. But the ones who decide they want to stay together, it's, it's tough. For both parties, you know, learning to trust again, learning to, to focus on the person you've committed your life to again, learning to, to love this person and not let other things become priorities in front. It takes work. It's hard to rebuild relationships that have been broken that badly. And so God says, just, just don't do it. <laughs> don't go down that road. And for those of you preparing for marriage... <laughs> Learn that value now. 
that commitment is to be valued and faithfulness is to be valued and trust is to be valued. And that the physical aspects, you know, that are very much tied into this are something that imply commitment as well. Like you can be offering commitment to somebody without ever making agreements, without ever planning to marry someone, but you can be giving that commitment, that implied commitment that ties you to another person without even meaning to. But that's something you carry with you forever because you can't, you can't forget it and you can't undo it. It follows you into your marriages where in some ways it's like you've, you've cheated on a spouse you don't have yet because those memories are always there and you don't forget So to learn that trust and that faithfulness and and value the love that you will have someday, to treasure it as something that's sacred and holy and that God wants to give to you the best marriages in the world. And I know that's what God has planned, is holy relationships for you. And you need to treasure that now at this age so that when you're my age, you can enjoy it without all the baggage a lot of couples have to deal with. You know, back in these days, by your age, you'd already be married, (laughs) most of you guys. Girls get married around 12, 13, guys, 16, 20. I mean, you're you're getting there. It's already done, and all you have to do is live the rest of your lives as, as married, and that's in some ways easier. And now in society, we're not getting married till later and later, and so it's, the burden is much harder to stay faithful to someone you haven't met yet. And a lot more people are prone to making mistakes. And that's why I loved what Brian started off with today. He started off with forgiveness. It's not that God can't forgive, and it's not that you can't be made whole, and it's not that you can't have a wonderful marriage even if you've made a mistake. Um, But you have to trust that forgiveness, and you have to focus on God and his faithfulness to bring healing when mistakes have been made. So, as with all these commandments, God is is trying to help you out. He's trying to save you a lot of pain that, that people deal with in life that happens because of mistakes that we make, mistakes that you can be spared if you can learn here versus learning the hard way. And for us who are, are older now and are different phases in our lives, that we can still whether we're married or not, value love, value marriage and what it means. That when we say, I love you like a love song, the love songs we're talking about are talking about God's love. One of the favorite things I like to do when I hear love songs now, I imagine whether or not I could be singing that song to God or God could be singing it to me. And like some of these songs, always and forever, I love imagining God singing me that song because he totally could. Always and forever, I'll always love you. I'll always be there. God, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's where we learn love. That's where we look to, to understand love and then try to live that kind of love in our lives, that unending love. How deep the Father's love for us. Uh, 
and always, and, and that's what I, I feel it always goes back to Jesus. Everything. When we're here and we talk about commandments and rules and, and, and life lessons, it, it should always go back to Jesus. And what did he have to say to us about this? Jesus, the truest example of God's love for us. Something that we can easily look to as an example of how great God's love for us. His unending love, despite our unfaithfulness, our continued unfaithfulness, God continues to forgive and continues to love because he's in it for the long haul. <laughs> because he won't be giving up for us and he is committed well, you know, and that's the other, the other image is the second coming. There's all the image of the bride. So right now, we're, we're betrothed to God. We're intended. We're, we're engaged. We're serious. We're committed. And someday there's going to be a wedding when God comes back. So how can we learn to love like that, like the way God loves us? And the way we learn is by looking at the love he's given us. Um, many of you guys know that uh, I went to a youth retreat with these kids called The One Project in August. Thank you for all of you who supported to help us get there um, because it was a really great experience and I got to know a lot of these kids better. And there was a song that they sung that I feel like I've heard it before, um, but I hadn't really heard it before. And I'd like to share it with you today. Um, and maybe someday we can, we can put it as, as one of our worship songs that we could sing because I feel like the message is that it's profound. It's about God's love for us. And so uh, I'd like to share this with you as we, uh, as we close this service. the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. 
didn't anything no gifts no power no wisdom but i will boast in jesus christ his death and resurrection why should i gain from his Christ is our example that we boast in his love in his sacrifice and that we model that love and that sacrifice in our relationships and in our marriages and in our families so that our 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 love can be a reflection of his love amen